Welcome to the first episode of the Jesse Blake Sports Report. Thank you for being here. Today we're going to be joined by Rob Wong and Cam Lewis to break down the upcoming Blue Jays season. I outlined this in our discussion, but the Blue Jays right now are favored to win the World Series. And as a Toronto sports fan, hearing that can only bring you nerves. The last time the Blue Jays themselves were in this position was 2013 and that season they finished last in the AL East but this this is a different Blue Jays squad than that team but it can't help uh, make you nervous when you see all of the American outlets all of the MLB outlets every Toronto uh, sports reporter saying this is the season for the Jays how could you not be nervous about that so we'll see how they fare this upcoming season. It's going to be a, a long one, 162 games as usual. Thank goodness that uh, lockout did not stretch into the regular season uh, and that there's actually baseball going to be played north of the border this year uh, for a full season, 81 home games, uh, unlike the last two years. It's going to be really special tonight, opening day, packed house. It's sold out tickets. Um, you can't get a ticket, 50,000 fans. Haven't had that since uh, 2019, an opening day in Toronto like this. So I'm excited to see what unfolds tonight, um, tonight when you're hearing this. And yeah, I'm excited, to get, I, I'm excited for everybody to hear that conversation. I feel like you'll get really pumped for the season here. And then after that, we're joined by S. Barahaney, who produces digital content over at The Score, very talented uh, video producer. He did a video on Scotty Barnes and why Scotty should win the Rookie of the Year. So I brought him on here to discuss that because the Raptors, they've gone so under the radar Last season, playing in Tampa the whole year, uh, it was hard to really cheer for a team when you can't go to the end of the games. They don't even play in your city, and they don't even kind of be want to. They don't really want to be playing the games either when they're away from home, south of the border, and COVID's a mess. And it was just a disaster year for the Raptors. And then this year they come back, and I don't think anybody expected them to be this good already, especially Scotty. Scotty in particular. Uh, me and S, we run over the Jalen Suggs, Scotty pick, and everyone was shocked about that. And Masai and Bobby Webster, they knew what they were doing from day one with this draft pick, and we, we run through that. So that's a, that's a really fun conversation. But yeah, the Raps are maybe going to finish fifth in the East, uh, at least sixth. They're, they're up in the fifth spot now. Maybe they can hop up to fourth, uh, pass the 76ers, uh, host that home home date. That would be incredible. But we'll see who they face in the first round. Next week, I got whole Raptors playoff preview coming for you. It's going to be really fun. We're going to do a little roundtable discussion on that. I think uh, we'll drop that before game one for sure. And then, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. Let me know what you think. If you can do me a favor, if you're listening to this first episode, rate it on Spotify, on Apple Podcast app. If you rate it on those two things, it'll uh, boost it a little, boost it a little up the charts, and then we could churn out some more episodes for you here. Because I got to prove we can get some numbers here if we want to keep making these. So uh, I really appreciate you listening right now. Uh, I'll talk to you at the end of the show, uh, do a little recap, and I'll and I'll see you then. But here's first our conversation with Rob Wong. And Cam Lewis, Jay's season preview. Enjoy. All right, we're being joined now by Rob Wong and Cam Lewis. Rob Wong is the host of the Designated for Assignment podcast and editor over at Post Media. And Cam Lewis, the host of the Blue Jays Nation radio podcast and writer over at BlueJaysNation.com. 
Gentlemen, let's start with the obscenely high expectations on these Toronto Blue Jays. Right now, they have the second best odds to win the World Series. They're only trailing the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are favorites to win the AL East. Their win total is set at 92.5. That's the over-under. The last time the Blue Jays were this heavily favored to win was 2013. Rob, <laughs> let's start with you. Can you Go tell on. me why these Blue Jays are not the 2013 Blue Jays? Now, I will have to say the 2013 Blue Jays, I was with everyone. I thought, how is this going to fail? I mean, Josh Johnson looks like prime Roger Clemens in spring training. You bring in Mark Burley, you bring in Jose Reyes, R.A. Dickey, who just came off a Cy Young award-winning season with the Mets. And you're thinking, how is this going to fail alongside Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion? And they found a way to fail. I mean, Josh Johnson obviously got injured and he blew up. R.A. Dickey wasn't terrible, but he wasn't able to live up to the Cy Young expectations. Jose Reyes was hurt for much of that season, and it just never came together. I think, you know, it took them a while to even get back to 500 after putting themselves in such a big hole, but they never recovered. And with this team, I think what is different is that it's so much more deep than that 2013 team. Whereas we look in hindsight and you lose a Josh Johnson and an R.A. Dickey and a Mark Burley don't show up. And, you know, those were sort of the cracks in that team that ultimately led to its downfall. And with this one, I look at all facets of the roster and I look at the lineup, for instance. And I, I made this point, you know, even before they brought on Matt Chapman, you know, you lose Vladdy Guerrero for a couple of months. You lose George Springer for a couple of months. There's still a lot of other guys in this team that can carry the lineup, whether it's a Bo Bichette, a Teoscar Hernandez, a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. We've seen at times, you know, you look back at uh, last season, the last few months, Lourdes was on an incredible tear, helping the Blue Jays make that playoff push. So, you know, the lineup, you'd have to lose three of these guys to really be concerned about this lineup, I would say. And same with the pitching staff. You know, we're hoping for uh, big seasons from Jose Brios, Alec Manoa, and Kevin Gosman as the top three. But all three of those guys would have to fall flat on their face for me to really be concerned about this starting rotation. You lose one of those guys, it's unfortunate, but you still got a lot of depth to pick it up. And with the bullpen... I mean, just any year, you never know, right, Cam? The, the bullpen could be up, could be down. That's just the way it works. Um, but you bring in a guy like Jimmy Garcia, you're hoping Jordan Romano can keep things going to Mesa. You know, a lot of these other guys in the pen, that's the one thing that this Blue Jays front office has done so well, you know, since they took over, that they've been able to sort of piece together these bullpens with not exactly the most household names. So, you know, if there's one thing that you can look at the track record for this front office, you know, the bullpens they've been able to figure out on the fly. You look back last year, the additions of Adam Simber and Trevor Richards, like they know how to do it. Maybe a little, a little too late last year. They could have made some additions a little bit quicker. But that's why I think this 2022 version is so different from that 2013. It is the depth and the depth of talent, right? It's not that they just have a bunch of guys. They have a lot of really, really good players. Cam, why are these Blue Jays first place Blue Jays <laughs> and not last place Blue Jays? I think Rob pretty much said everything, but the one thing that I want to say is the Jays made all those moves ahead of the 2013 season, the huge Marlins trade, the Dickey trade, you know, it was all super exciting, but they were also bad in 2012, right? They only won 73 games. They were nowhere near being a contender and it's pretty hard to make, you know, like a 25, 30 win jump just because you brought in a handful of veterans, no matter how good the veterans are. Whereas last year, the Jays won 91 games. They were very good. They were the, you know, the best ever fourth place team in the, uh, in the division era in major league baseball, which is, I mean, that's obviously not the crown you want to wear, but it shows that they were a good team. And the, the thing is, is they accomplished that last year, despite facing quite a bit of adversity, I think. I mean, they didn't make their debut at home until 
you know, halfway through the season. They started off playing in Dunedin when they were getting booed by Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. Those all felt like road games. Like the games in Buffalo felt a bit more like home games, but it's still not the same thing. You're still living out of a suitcase. You're not at home. You're not comfortable. And then it was noticeable when the Jays came back to the Rogers Center and they had that, you know, amazing first game back. And it was such a good vibe, such a good energy. And the Jays, you could tell, just kind of rode that momentum through the rest of the season and they almost got in. Whereas this year, barring some unforeseen disaster, they're going to play 81 games at the Rogers Center. And that's a huge game changer for the team. I mean, the, the offseason was a challenge this year because it's not easy to replace Marcus Samuel and Robbie Ray. There's, you know, a MVP finalist and a Cy Young winner. But even if you had brought those two guys back, it's hard to say if they would have had the same seasons in 2022 as it did in 2021, bringing in Matt Chapman, who's amazing defensively, could have a huge rebound season with the bat. Kevin Gosman, great pitcher. That should be enough to fill the void. And this is a team that, through terrible circumstances, won 91 games last year. It's pretty reasonable to expect them to do the same thing this year. Rob, you briefly mentioned Vladdy Jr. there. He came into this spring training a little slimmer, slimmed down a little, uh, noticeably faster. He currently has the second best odds to win the AL MVP. Shohei Itani has the best odds. Mike Trout, the third. Uh, the, the two angels sandwich him there. Is it possible for Vladdy Jr. to live up to the expectations and improve on his season from last year? I mean, it'd be hard, right? It'd be hard-pressed to put up a season like that. Historically, you know, only a handful of 22-year-olds have ever had a season uh, like Vladdy Jr. did. But, I mean, it's possible, right? Because this guy, even when he was a prospect coming up through the minors, I mean, everybody, all the prospect evaluators said... You've never seen a prospect like this. You know, we've seen the Bryce Harpers. We've seen guys like Mike Trout. We've seen Miggy Cabrera's, Albert Pujols. But this guy is just like nothing we've ever seen before. There's a reason they gave him, I think it was MLB Pipeline, gave him an 80-hit tool, which is just something you do not see really uh, ever. So, you know, could we see a 50-plus homer season this year? That's on the table. Could we see the Triple Crown? That is on the table. Uh, you know, this is a new reality. I think we are looking at with Vladdy Jr. You know, we thought, you know, at some point, maybe with all the hype that he would get to this point and he got there um, last year. So now we're in this new version of Vladdy. This is no longer, you know, the guy that was pushing three bills uh, like he was a couple of years ago. And obviously he's put himself in a lot better shape has, you know, gone around the rigors of Major League Baseball now for a couple of seasons, so he understands the grind. So, you know, the expectations are going to be high. Um, do I think he could do it? It's possible, but, you know, I think even if he comes up a little short of where he did last year, putting up those monster numbers, I mean, if he can do this consistently for a long, long time, I mean, that's all you can really ask for. Like, I'm not asking Vladdy to hit 50 bombs and, you know, put up a 166 WRC plus for the rest of his career. If he does, we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time, like historically, like a top 50 player. And, th and that's on the table. But you look at the careers of guys like Albert Pujols or Miguel Cabrera for the most part of their careers. I mean, they were just consistently great. And I think for me, that's kind of how I look at Vlad. You don't have to have these gigantic peaks all the time and keep exceeding it. Just be really good for a long time. Stay on the field. And, you know, that's all you can ask for. Right, right. And the Blue Jays' big offseason acquisition uh, this year was Matt Chapman. Everybody loved making the comparison to Josh Donaldson, throwing it back to November 2014 when the Blue Jays got a third baseman from the Oakland Athletics, and they've done it again, another third baseman from the o Oakland Athletics. Cam, what are the expectations here on Matt Chapman? What do, what do we expect to see? Because 
he was an MVP caliber talent in 2019. And then 2020, he misses half the season. 2021, he struggles. He doesn't have a batting average above 232 in those two years. What do we expect out of Matt Chapman at third base? I'm not sure you can expect anyone to come in and just produce the 2015 Josh Donaldson season because that was so good. That was outrageous. I mean, I can I can obviously see why that's the comparison because Oakland went ahead and gave the Blue Jays a third baseman again, which after the first time they did it, I'm shocked they went back and made such a disaster PR trade again. It's like it's it's borderline hilarious on their part. But the thing with Chapman is I think the offense is almost a bit of a bonus. I think you know, even if he goes and does what he did last year, which wasn't that great, he's, you know, like a 750 OPS, hits some dingers, strikes out a lot. It's not, you know, your number three hitter. It's not your Josh Donaldson. But what you're really looking for with Chapman is what he brings with the glove at third base. Because the Jays have a handful of pitchers who like Hyunjin Ryu, Alec Manoa, who a lot of the, the balls in play that they get end up on that side of the infield. And last year we saw Kevin Biggio in that position. He struggled a bit. He didn't have the arm strength to get the ball to first base. Santiago Espinal was better. He's a good defender, but you're not the same as Matt Chapman, who's arguably the best defensive third baseman in Major League Baseball. So even if Chapman doesn't bounce back offensively, um, you're going to get a benefit just from having that defense. But in regards to the bat, it's always reasonable to assume that when someone leaves the Oakland Coliseum where offense goes to die, I mean, you have to hit the ball a million miles an hour to get it out because the stadium's a cave. It's really humid there. Whereas now you're playing in Rogers Center, which is a bandbox. It's a lot easier to hit dingers in Rogers Center, and we're probably going to see Chapman's power numbers go up. So it, it would be pretty reasonable to assume him to be better than he was last year. Is he going to put the best season of his career together? It's always a possibility, but really honestly, just getting that glove in the field is such a game changer. So the pitching staff is kind of where I'm nitpicking this roster. You know, because like the offense is going to be there. We know they're going to put up runs. And I look at like Hinjin Ryu struggled last year. Alex Manoa's in his second year ever in Major League Baseball. Uh, Yusei Kuchi, he struggled in the second half of last year. So is the is the defense, the pitching, going to be there? Is it going to be stable enough to allow the offense to do the thing? Are they going to have a low enough ERA so that the offense can just go out there and hit bombs and, and deliver where we think it's going to deliver? Uh, Rob, what do you think about the pitching staff? Should I be worried about it at all? Well, to be honest, I think for me with the starting five, I'm looking at Jose Barrios, Kevin Gossman, and even though, even though Alec Manoa is in his second year and he's coming off an incredible season – I think I kind of know what he is at this point. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of regression um, from some of the numbers that he put up a season ago, but I feel pretty confident in those as my top three. And then anything I get from Hyunjin Ryu and Yusei Kikuchi, I think is gravy. And, you know, you look around Major League Baseball and the reality is how many teams actually have five, you know, starters that you feel absolutely great about. I mean, it's been pretty rare. Like I think of those Phillies teams that had, you know, Joe Blanton was like their fifth starter when they had, you know, Cole Hamels and Roy Oswald and, you know, Roy Halladay and um, Cliff Lee. Like those are just rotations you dream upon that come around like once in a generation. Like that just doesn't happen. Most rotations, even on the best teams, have holes in them. And this Blue Jays team does have holes at the back end because we don't know, you know, is Hunjin Ryu more the second half guy than he was the first half guy or even, you know, a year ago in his uh, first season with the Blue Jays and Kikuchi's a wild card. So, I'm looking at the top three, and I think those guys can carry this team uh, a long, long ways. And then anything, you know, after that with Ryu and Kikuchi, if they're great, good. If they're not, I mean, that's just just how it crumbles, unfortunately. Right, 
Right. So the pitching staff there is kind of where I'm nitpicking the lineup. And then the other place is second base, where there's still a, a battle for the position between uh, Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal. It's it's up to them. It's who gets this position heading into game one of the playoffs, hopefully, maybe at the end of August. Who are we seeing that Charlie Montoya plugs into that lineup every day? Is it Espinal? Is it Kevin? What do you think, Cam? Well, a few days ago, I would have said that Jose Ramirez was going to be starting that job. But unfortunately, Cleveland all of a sudden has the money to pay a star. I kind of just thought they were going to, you know, it was inevitable. He was going to become a Blue Jay. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. So, yeah, we're going in with a platoon of Santiago Espinal, who had a really good spring training. He showed up and he just looked buff and thick. Like, this is a guy that there was no prayer that he was ever going to hit the ball to the ballpark, but now he shows up looking like a truck and it's like, Oh wow, this guy suddenly has some power. And then you have Kevin Biggio who has the fans of all kind of soured on him because he had a really bad season last year. I think that was due in part also to the fact he was playing third base and that was a bit of a challenge. He's um, he also had some injury problems. So his batting wasn't quite as good, but I mean, two years ago, Kevin Biggio looked like he was, he was part of the big three. Everybody was like, Oh, it's Bowen Vlad and Kevin Biggio. I mean, he kind of slipped in there arbitrarily because of who his dad is. And we all like doing the bloodlines thing, but in his own right, he's, he was a pretty solid player in his first couple seasons in the league. Like the Blue Jays could probably use a little bit of what Kevin Biggio brings to the table on their team, because this is a very swing happy right-handed lineup. So having Biggio there, a lefty who can draw a walk is a nice addition to the lineup. And then with Espinal, you have a player who brings quite a bit of flair. He's very good defensively, very slick. And then it looks like he could maybe have a breakup with the bat, given the fact he's gotten himself into tremendous shape. That's always a possibility, but I think with them, you're just, it's it's good to have kind of two players that are that have different profiles kind of competing for the spot. If I had to venture a guess, I think I'd go with Biggio being the more likely player to play every day because I just think that his bat fits the lineup a bit better. Like I said, they need that lefty, they need that patience. But I also wouldn't be all that shocked if the Jays did pull the trigger on a midseason trade. I mean, there was talk about them, like I said, with Jose Ramirez during the offseason. It didn't come together. They made a big trade last year to get Jose uh, Barrios from Minnesota. Wouldn't be shocking to see them do it again if um, Espinal and BGO don't work out. But I do think it's a it's if if that's the weak part of your entire position player mix, that's fine. I mean, you can do a lot worse than that. I, I'm 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 pretty confident with those two players. Rob, do you see the 25 man roster staying the same, or do you see like? Uh, Atkins and Shapiro making a move here to shake up the roster, maybe at second base. Yeah, I think maybe at some point in the second half of the season as we get closer to the trade deadline. I mean, there's a lot of chatter out there that the Blue Jays still have some money to spend, and obviously they want to save some of that in the war chest for you know trade deadline if they want to make a big splash, whether they need to for an injury replacement or they just want to continue to upgrade this team. But you know, it feels like we do this every year at the beginning of the season. You look at the roster and you say. This is awesome. There's so much potential. And then somebody's going to underperform. Somebody's going to get hurt and could happen even quickly. I mean, who knows? Stock on wood. Hopefully it doesn't. But after the first weekend series, we're already talking about, oh boy, like Espinal and BGO or, you know, 0 for 15 already. And we're already looking at replacements for second base. And, you know, Gosky Cato hasn't really, you know, worked out in the limited amount of playing time. So, you know, I think back to last season and I, what Josh Palacios was with the Blue Jays for like the first week and lasted a couple of weeks and, you know, got injured, of course, but that was kind of it for him until later in the season. So, you know, some of these guys at the back end of the roster, they're great stories, they're fun stories, and, and sometimes they, you know, don't last as long as we'd like them to. But, if this Blue Jays team, you know, at the end of the day is depending on Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal, 
that's a whole another issue in of itself. Like these guys are going to be great complementary pieces, but you know, this team is only going to go as far as the Vladdy's, the bows, the Springers, all the star players take it. You know, if we're talking about Bobichet or sorry, uh, Kevin Biggio and Espinal, you know, later into the season, what do we do there? I mean, then, then that's, that's, that's a bigger problem. I think. You mentioned Gosuke Kato. I just want to take a moment to talk about him for a second because his personality, <laughs> like he has a shot yeah. at being the next Toronto plug that we all love. He has a shot at JYD, Taidomi, Kawasaki territory. Like he's already made the Kawasaki comparisons with putting a, a, his head on a meme of Kawasaki. Like what do you guys think about the personality and this guy injecting that energy into this team? Yeah, oh, I yeah. feel I feel like him there. This is what people love, right? They love the plucky underdog story the people with personalities I, I used to say this all the time you know john mcdonald uh, god bless his soul one of the greatest uh, blue jays in history i used to joke that like mm -hmm. if john mcdonald like slid into second base and just like picked up some dirt and started eating it like the fans would cheer him on because that's how much they love this guy like anything he ever did like they cheered it on same with mununori kawasaki People didn't really care if he wasn't the greatest baseball player. They just love the personality. They love people that try hard. And if Gosuke Kato is someone that goes out there, you know, tries hard, gets the occasional hit, makes the occasional play in whatever limited playing time, the personality and stuff is definitely going to carry him to a cult status, it feels like. Cam, are you loving his Twitter account? I am. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's if there's ever a team for a guy like him to thrive on, it's the Blue Jays who have really leaned into allowing their players to have personalities. Like you see the home run jacket is back again this year, and they've added more countries to the back. There's a whole bunch of likable personalities in the Jays, and this is a team where somebody like that can thrive as opposed to, you know, playing on the Yankees or the Cardinals or a team like that who kind of shuts down that kind of energy. The Jays, the Jays, the Jays bring that kind of excitement, and the fans really respond to it. So it'd be awesome to see one of those kind of 25th guy on the roster scrubs turn into a fan favorite i think that'd be a nice bow on top of what could be a very 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 fun year all right one last thing before we get to your big prediction jay's prediction for the season am i in the minority that i kind of like the rogers center like it's not it's not a great ballpark <laughs> in the sense that it's traditional baseball but like they've done so many improvements the amenities are great uh they do a great great service with the food uh, before Cam and I were talking about how they signed a Mary Brown's chicken deal uh, for five years, the field now is kind of it's the fun artificial graft and not grass and not carpet. Like they are coming with a new scoreboard. Are you guys thumbs up or thumbs down on the Rogers Center? Where Ooh, do you stand? I, I have changed my opinion on Rogers Center forever. You know, going there as a kid when it was Sky Dome. You know, when you're you're a child and you're there at the games, it seems so big and it's huge and you're so excited. And then as I got into my teen years, it was sort of like. Okay, the team's not great. That doesn't help either. But like the environment is whatever. It's the concrete convertible. But I feel <laughs> over the last few years, it started to shift again, right? Obviously, they've made a lot of renovations. It helps that the team, you know, was good in 2015 and 2016. That was sort of the, the renaissance and it became kind of hip to, to go down there. And now with these new renovations with the big giant scoreboard, I think that's big. But, you know, for us that have gone to these games, we know what makes it fun when the team is winning and the crowd is packed, when the team's losing and the crowds aren't there. It's uh, it's a tough place to be. So I think the winning is really what fuels most of it. But it's nice to see that there's a lot of new amenities that are going to be there. And obviously, Mark Shapiro and Rogers are, are working on trying to make this as you know fun of an atmosphere as they can uh, before, you know, maybe at some point we get a new stadium. But that seems like it's going to be a few decades down the road. Cam, where are you at? 
Yes or no? Thumbs up, thumbs down, Roger Center. I don't mind the Roger Center. I think it's fine. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say it's objectively one of the best baseball experiences out there. I mean, you've got a lot of nice, gorgeous parks, and the Dome is what it is. It's a... it's a functionalist thing to make baseball possible in Canada in October and April. And it's just the reality. Like that's just what, that's what we're dealing with. If we didn't have it, then well, we'd be the team that had most games in April get delayed or pushed to a different time. And then playoffs would be impossible. Right. But when the dome is closed, it's not the best, but when the team is good and the dome is closed, it is an extremely cool and unique environment in major league baseball. Like I remember being at that, I flew down for that first, um, playoff game in 2015 against Texas in the division series. And the, you know, the roof was closed. It was freezing outside and it was loud. It was, it was insane. It was like, you know, everyone says playoff hockey atmosphere, like a, like a, like a barn like that. And that's what it was. And that's super cool. I don't think there's really anywhere else that you can do that in major league baseball. So I think as Jays fans, we should just kind of lean into the uniqueness of what the, the, the sky dome still is. It's a, it's a weird park. It's kind of gritty. It's kind of ugly, but it's, it's our weird, gritty, ugly ballpark. It, 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 it does its thing. It'll be great to see fans pack the building, 81 games, no matter what you think about it. At least we're going to have a full house all season long. So last thing from both of you, I need your big, bold Jays prediction. Uh, where do you see them finishing? Is anybody in the AL East? We don't want to talk about Tropicana Field and the demons that uh, the Blue Jays have there. If the Red Sox might take over their spot, the top spot, if the Yankees might steal the division from them, who do you have winning the division? Where do you have the Jays finishing? What's your prediction? Well, I still have PTSD. I know we talked about 2013 already, but I'm I'm still there. It's hard for me to say this, and it you know doesn't help the fact that I see on Twitter a lot today, the last few days, just people putting out their predictions: Blue Jays this, Blue Jays that. And it's like. Oh, are we really going to do this again? But here we are. Like, I'm on the record already. I think they're winning the division, and I think they go to the World Series. I didn't say uh, who they're going to – if they're going to win or not, but I want to see Blue Jays brace. I want the Alex Anthopoulos, Mark Shapiro storyline. I want all of that. So uh, give me Blue Jays, Braves. It's also, what, the 30-year anniversary of uh, the 92 World Series. So I think there's some good symmetry there. And just for the sake of it, let's just say the Blue Jays beat the Braves in the World Series. There you go. World Series prediction. Nice, nice. Cam, what are you thinking? I think the Jays will come right in between where they finished in 2015 and where they finished in 1983. So that'd be 94 wins. I actually don't think they're going to win the division this year. I think it's going to be the Rays again. But I think the Jays are going to be the top wildcard team. And I agree with Rob. I do think they're the best team in the American League. And I think they're going to come out of the league in the playoffs. Um, I, I actually really do quite like the Braves on Thopolis thing. That would be so good for banter. But I have um, I have a hard time betting against the LA Dodgers, who are just so impossibly good. If there was one team I think I would like to come out of the National League, just because I think it'd be funny, is the Phillies. Because they have a really weird, chaotic energy with a whole bunch of guys that can hit and can't field in a terrible bullpen. It just seems like the kind of team that's going to pull off 10 run rallies and blow 10 run leads. I just think that'd be a hilarious team for the Jays to play in the playoffs. But maybe they do Atlanta this year and then Philly next year for the (laughs) 30-year anniversaries. That would work, too. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. That's Rob Wong, host of the Designated for Assignment podcast with Josh Goldberg, an editor over at Post Media. And Cam Lewis, host of Blue Jays Nation Radio podcast terrific and writer over at bluejaysnation.com thanks so much guys opening day we're here welcoming on now s barahaney who does digital content for the score drop him a follow on twitter for non-stop 
basketball content. S, I have you on the show today because I want to add fuel to the Scotty Barnes for Rookie of the Year fire that has taken over the NBA zeitgeist. You put a fantastic video out on the Scores YouTube channel detailing why Scotty is the Rookie of the Year, and I encourage everybody to go check that out. But I want to first start from the beginning. Our first taste of Scotty Barnes. I want to go back to the summer of 2021 when the Raptors were at the podium. They walked up there. Everybody thought that Masai and Bobby were going to select Jalen Suggs with the number four overall pick. And all of a sudden, we're in complete shock because they select this kid named Scotty Barnes. What did Masai and Bobby see on that day last summer that has become clear over the course of this season? that Scotty was actually the right pick in that scenario, fourth overall. It was kind of in plain sight, uh, to be honest with you, uh, especially from their quotes afterwards. You know, you had the quotes from Masai and Bobby saying that they had this vision of, you know, positionless basketball guys who can do a bunch of things on the court, whether it be dribble, handle, shoot, right, defend multiple positions. And, you know, uh, among the top five guys in the draft, there was no one that was as close to that description that I just did as Scotty Barnes. Like he is the definition of the guy that they were looking for. And, you know, the Raptors, they do have an MO, right? They have like this philosophy for how to build a basketball team. They, they kind of they have this vision in mind. And maybe, you know, initially that vision was kind of blurred between blurred for Raptors fans because they were like unsure, you know, with Suggs and Scotty. But now it's clear as day that, you know, there's there's a clear vision in mind for what they want to see and what they envision with this core. Um, and Scotty plays a huge, huge part in it. So right now, Scotty trails Evan Mobley in the rookie of the year odds. Uh, he's sitting Mobley sitting at 1.4 on the decimal odds. Scotty sitting at 2.59, and yeah. then in third we got Cade Cunningham at 9.04 decimal odds. And I'm just wondering if you think this is still a three horse race. Are we still looking at Cade uh, as an outside shot to win? Like, does he still have a shot here, or is it coming down to Evan and Scotty? Is it? What do you think? Three horse race still? I would say so. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially with what Cade has done recently post all-star break, it's just, it's very, very impressive. I mean, like he's, he's the main reason the Pistons are near 500 basketball right now. Um, and to say that about the Pistons who prior to 2022 were just like, couldn't even score the basketball bad, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it's that that makes me kind of think, yes, this is a three-person race. And honestly, look, if the season was 20, 30 games longer, I genuinely think there would be a conversation for Kate to just win it outright because he, he's been that good. But I think the, the lag of him starting out slower and then, you know, missing games, that's what's going to probably end him. Being in third place. It's such a difficult conversation because you take into account like the injury games missed and like that's out of a player's control and like yeah. you even bring that over to like the all NBA conversation. Do you take in the the missed COVID games and all the injuries and and Cade's putting up the points like it's it's all yeah. there but the games just aren't there and the team's not very good. But I want to focus in on on Evan and uh, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes, Toronto Raptors, Cleveland Cavaliers, right. and I want to take it, split it up and I want to talk about the offensive side and the defensive side. So. How do we compare the offensive abilities of Scotty to the def- uh, to the offensive abilities yeah. of Evan Mobley? Scotty 
he's kind of the opposite of what we all expected coming into the season. We thought he'd be able to um, stand pat with his defense, but his offense is the thing that's really shining here. It's the 15 points a game, it's the 3.5 uh, assists. The offensive rebounding is crazy out of control. Where do you line up these two talents on the offensive end? Yeah, of course. And I, I bring it up in that video you mentioned earlier, too. I think the the main thing that we see with Scotty is that it's it's kind of it's came out of nowhere. You know, he has this ability to create for himself off the ball. He is a physically imposing player. He's not afraid of contact whatsoever. Um, and he just he, he has a really, really great knack and a touch for getting at the rim and just finishing at the rim. It's just something that's remarkable. And it's funny because pre-draft, that was something that a lot of people were questioning is, does he have that touch? Does he have that finishing ability? And he has absolutely showed that through the 60-whatever games that he's played so far this season, um, or 70-whatever games so far this season. So it's it's just it's clear that like he has developed into this offensive juggernaut but in a really unorthodox way, especially in the offensive rebounding department and the way that he attacks the rim and the way that he's not afraid of contact. It's not something that we traditionally see from rookies, but he's doing all of these things to try and generate offense and it's working. And you add, you add the playmaking ability that he has, and that just adds a whole nother facet. Now you have, now you have a guy like Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam who kind of, in terms of the playmaking department, um, work in similar ways where they're constantly trying to create advantages for other players. And it's fun because now you have this two headed monster attacking the rim, putting pressure on the rim, and then also kicking out to your shooters of Gary, Fred, OG. So there's a function to it. And it, and it kind of makes sense now. And especially with the way Scotty's developed, it just, it, it's, it's been really fun to watch. Mobley on the other hand has struggled a little bit offensively. Um, and I think the, the reasoning for that is because he isn't as good of a self-creator yet um, compared to Barnes, who really has just, again, out of nowhere, just been this marvel at creating his own shot. I think a lot of Mobley's stuff has been, to, for a lack of better words, spoon-fed. Um, it, it, I know it sounds awful when you say it like that, but like, you know, Darius Garland... <laughs> But like Darius Garland is, uh, you know, he's a he's a phenomenal playmaker and the pick and roll between him and him and Mobley or him and Allen has just produced a lot of easy buckets for them. And that's a credit to Mobley because he's such an incredible rim finisher and he's such a, you know, a seismic force in the paint that it just it's it's incredible to watch that in itself is very, very fun and entertaining as well. It's just a different type of offense. Self-creation wise, shooting wise, he just hasn't gotten to that level that Scotty is at surprisingly. You know, so that's that's the main difference between the two. I and think. like if we throw in Cade into the offensive side of this discussion, like he trumps them both. Like he's he has sure. the best production out of yeah. all three of them, but he just hasn't done it enough. And then we get back into the discussion of the injury games missed and how we factor all that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, look, like I said, if this if the season was like 20, 30 games longer, we might have a different conversation about Cade. But. It's just the fact that, you know, he's lagging in games and there was the little bit of shooting struggles and, and scoring struggles, especially when he first started out, where I think, you know, it's kind of comparable now. And if you want to go in terms of like just offense, yes, I would say Cade is Cade is probably ahead of both of them. But this season, in terms of offensive consistency and through a longer duration, I think you could make the argument that it's done. And then we go into the defense. Evan Mobley, like this is his case for rookie of the year yeah. it's it's the defensive side of the game for him as this as this big center and like scotty holds his own 
as uh, with the seven three wingspan with the yeah. effort like that's a thing you'll always get out of Scotty is great effort but the positioning just isn't there for Scotty and you compare uh, that with Evan Mobley who's playing on a top five defensive team he's probably the the third second most important defensive player on that team like where do you where do you rank yeah. them on the defensive yeah. side here yeah I mean you you put it well I think I think the big difference between Scotty and and Mobley is the fact that. Mobley is a lot more defined in his role with the Cavaliers uh, defensively. He knows what he has to do, and that's be a great rim protector. And he's done that so far. You know, him and him and Allen, they're like, like I said, with Siakam and Barnes, they're this double-edged monster, whatever you want to call it, that, you know, you try to attack the rim and you're not going to get a lot of daylight <laughs> against those two just twin tower type guys. So it's, it's very, very fun to see on that. And Scotty, on the other hand, has had to handle a lot of roles defensively. And that's what's hindered him in general is the fact that he's been forced to to kind of think on the fly. And, you know, we we know with Nick Nurse's defense is that they're constantly switching schemes and moving from one to another, whether it be zone, whether it be talking about their pick and roll coverage, whether it be, you know, box and one or man to man. Like they're on a possession to possession basis, they're constantly changing and adapting their defense. And I think for a rookie, especially a rookie who doesn't have a defined role on defense yet, um, that can be tough to adjust to. It, it's it's just like you said, sometimes he's out of position. Sometimes he's not necessarily in the right spots, but he makes up for it because of the fact that he's so long and he can kind of bother people in these passing lanes. And that's why he gets the blocks. That's why he gets the steals that you see. Um, but yes, it's definitely still a work in progress with, with Scotty on the defensive end. And by the way, like that's not to say he can't be a, great defender soon i actually think there's so much potential for him to end up being the the promised defender he was supposed to be coming into the draft it's just going to be a matter of time rookies don't figure it out all in one year right yeah and the progression that we've seen from him here it's incredible like nobody expected this from him imagine what scotty's going to be yeah. in two years and four years and five years he's only 20 like he's are, he's 20 like exactly. it's crazy so we'll see where he is <laughs> but lastly i want to bring up your twitter account and something you tweet, you put out into this Twitter sphere that that caused a storm today. I'm going to read you your question back to you uh, right here. <laughs> I, yeah, tell me what what I say. Oh God! So you tweeted out today: Should winning matter towards an an award like Rookie of the Year, especially in a race as tight as this year, where, in my opinion, you could go either way? Should record be considered? What's the answer to your own question? <laughs> um, look, it's 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 a weird thing because usually, you know, winning and, and record is is reserved for the other awards. It's reserved for MVP. It's reserved for coach of the year, whatever you want to call it. All those things. Winning and record is for those rookie of the year. We usually give it the benefit of the doubt because they're on bad franchises. But the the funny thing here this season is that there's two two players in Cade Cunningham. Sorry, actually, two players in Scotty Mo Scotty Mobley. Did I just say Scotty Mobley? Scotty <laughs> Scotty Barnes and for the Toronto Raptors and Evan Mobley for the Cleveland Cavaliers that are both in winning positions. And there's there's a massive reason that those teams are in winning positions because of their rookies. You know, they've they've impacted it in such a uh, such a phenomenal way. They've had an impact on winning. Now, that's not to say that Cade hasn't had an impact on winning because, like I said earlier. He has been balling out post All-Star break, and they're nearly a 500 team when they are a cellar dweller, to say the least. Like, they are at the bottom of the NBA. And yet, still, Cade's production 
is making them a 500 team. So all three of these guys are having an incredible like imprint on imp- and and just like an impact on winning. Is that going to split like is that going to be what we split hairs with and decide? I think that at the end of the day, when you look at the counting stats, right? It's all pretty comparable. You might lean Cade because of the scoring. When you look at the advanced metrics, you're lost. You could go either way. Sometimes it leans Mobley. Sometimes it leans Scotty. Sometimes it leans Kate. At the end of the day, you have to have some kind of deciding factor here. And that might be your impact on winning. Now, the Raptors, they might end up, you know, somewhere between fourth and sixth. The Cavaliers are now a playing team, you know, to no fault of Mobley, by the way. They've just, they've had injury luck and it's unfortunate. But for that reason, if we're splitting hairs here, it should be considered that Scotty is putting up the same production as Evan Mobley in terms of counting stats. Um, and while the defense isn't on that level, the offense is better than Mobley's. And he's doing it on lower usage than Mobley on higher minutes. So it's just all that stuff to me. It just feels like it's it's become very clear to me that Scotty actually is the rookie of the it's year. It's so funny this. how so. we'll bring that up for every other award, but rookie of the year, we leave that out. It's so It's so weird how we do that. But last thing... I want your prediction for the narrative side yeah. and the best matchup for the Raptors. Who do you want to face in the first round? Celtics, Bucks, 76ers. Who are you hoping the Raptors face? <laughs> I love the narrative question. Um, look, I, I think both narrative and matchup-wise, I would prefer not to play the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I just think, look, they are the there isn't really a, a clear cut favorite in the Eastern Conference to make it to the finals. But if there is, you know, if, if I had to pick one, I would probably still end up pick Milwaukee to go to the NBA finals this year again. So I just don't want to be in the way of that, especially if the Raptors are trying to make a run at it. I think Philly and Boston are more interesting just because of the fact that we've seen those reports recently about the the players that potentially might not be able to play in Toronto because of the vaccination status. Obviously, we found out with Philadelphia, Matisse Teibel is not going to be able to play. And then for the Celtics, there's the question of who is that player? Maybe it is a legitimate player. Maybe it's a Jalen Brown. Maybe it's an Al Horford. So we, we don't know the questions to those answers. Sorry, we don't know the answers to those questions yet, but it, it makes it a little bit more intriguing to me to see how that would play out and in terms of narrative-wise, I think it would make a lot of sense for the Raptors to play the Boston Celtics because, you know, Raptors fans will know that the Pascal Siakam series against the Celtics is something that is highly debated on Twitter, among Raptors fans in the community. Everybody always talks about that series as like a pivot point for his career. And it would be great to see him redeem that. It would be great to see him kind of shake off that rust and actually have a really incredible series. You're talking and about the uh, the bubble series, right? The the good old bubble series. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think it would be interesting for him to kind of, you know, assert himself and and take that leap and kind of prove that, yes, I have evolved as a player and now I, I don't have to, you know, worry about that or struggle against the Celtics team like that. That would be narrative-wise... I need that. I need that for my revenge notes, you know, all, all my receipts, all my receipts right here. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The long Raptors yeah. receipt yeah. that just extends to the floor that we keep writing on. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Espera Haney of The Score. Digital content over there. Go drop him a follow on Twitter. Like I said, go check out the video of why Scotty should win Rookie of the Year this year. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you to our guests again for joining us. Go give them a follow. Show them some love. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed those conversations. I really enjoy doing the show. First episode, I'm already enjoying it. 
it's been a long time coming since we've been discussing getting some other sports content on SDPN. If you follow us, if you follow our networks going on, you know that we have just been exclusively hockey since our inception. And now it's time to foray into other sports. And I'm glad that I could uh, be the maiden voyage on on this ship uh, into other sports. It's it's very fun to be doing this. It's It's a lot of fun to be talking to you here about things like my other interests, you know, about, about baseball and about basketball. And then in the fall, we're going to do so much football, um, just so much out NFL. I can't wait for that. Uh, I'm going to throw in some F1 here, despite the protests from the anti F1 people for some reason didn't like our F1 talk on the Steve Dago podcast, but yeah, go get them. Give us a like, tell all your friends about the show. Tell them they got some new Toronto sports content to consume from SDPN. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll hit you up next week with the Raptors playoff preview. I think that's it. Go listen to Steve Dangle podcast. New one is out today. We're going to talk further about this show on that podcast, the Steve Dangle podcast with myself, uh, Adam Wilde, and Steve Dangle. Uh, new Noxie and Cax dropped yesterday. Go listen to that. New Chris Johnston show also out yesterday. Go listen to that. Uh, if you haven't heard Ken Dryden on Agent Provocateur, go listen to that. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be listening to me right now or watching or watching on YouTube. Uh, thank you. Good night. Talk to you next week. <laughs>